Hey, Gabriel Blake. Hey, Gabriel Jose. Where are we today? We are in our respective apartments, alone together, like mm -hmm. the rest of the world. <laughs> we may be apart, but we are closer than ever. Yes, of course. <laughs> so, uh, what did we watch today? Today we watched, well, this time we watched the 1966 classic, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, directed by Mike Nichols. Um, I think that that was my pick, and the reason why I picked it is because after Mike Nichols destroyed me with a wit, and just checking like what was his uh, his work, you know, I was curious to see like something earlier. I mean, I had already seen The Graduate from 1967, but just that was checking... actually one of our very uh, a very early on Gabriel movies. Did we watch The Graduate together? Yep, we did. I think before the spreadsheet, but we watched it together. Gotcha. Yeah, it was like yeah, it was like three four years ago probably, but I also watched Closer that I found it like a bit uncomfortable movie to watch. But I also was Burkett, so I wasn't completely sure what is his style, what is like the commonality in his movies. So I wanted to see something earlier, you know, something of his uh, early work for just having a different perspective. And this is his earlier work because it's his first film. Is his what? It's his first film as a director. Gotcha. So, uh, I should warn you, you're cutting up a bit. Just letting you know. And letting the audience know. <laughs> we don't know exactly what is going to be the end result of this. But what is this movie about? This movie is about a very unhappy uh, married couple that is played by Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. Richard Burton plays essentially kind of a failed academic who works at the college that Elizabeth Taylor's father is the president of. And they've become married. They're complete disasters emotionally. And in terms of addiction, they're both, they seem to be alcoholics, although we only see them in this one night of their life. They go to a party, presumably that Elizabeth Taylor's father threw, and they meet a young couple, a man who is a brand new professor in the biology department and his incredibly stupid wife. And after this party ends, the, the university party about 2 a.m., Elizabeth Taylor had invited this young couple to her home. Mm -hmm. And then they just drink and drink, drink and tear each other apart for mm -hmm. two, almost two and a half hours. It was two and a half hours long? I would have that, but it was definitely longer than two, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, mm, crap, where is it? Yeah, two hours and ten minutes, eleven minutes. Okay. Okay, closer to two hours, but it felt like two and a half. Not in gotcha. a bad way, but it felt that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at no point, I think that is when I was half through it. I uh, I stopped for a second. I was like, "Wow, there is still more. There is still like one more hour of psychological abuse of this movie." <laughs> so, holy shit! Okay, uh, so what do you think of it? Well, I think you have to explain. Oh, wait, you did explain why you chose to watch this. What did I think about it? So, this is the second time I've seen this. The 
first time I went was maybe 10-ish years ago. And I really didn't expect to like it. I don't know why. I, I didn't I liked Elizabeth Taylor. I felt like the subject matter was boring. And I fucking loved it the first time. I was blown away. This time, I also liked it quite a bit. Um, but I'm a little bit more familiar with my nipples now. And I think my tastes have changed. They've evolved. And I still liked it a lot. I thought there was a lot of very bold direction. Yeah. And you can tell that the source material, which this is a play, a play that took the 60s by storm, is has some fantastic writing. Um, but I, So again, I liked it a lot, but I felt like the play was a little bit reductive with these characters. Like I wanted the young biologist professor, I wanted his wife to be more than basically Kelly Kapoor, except a white 60s version. And she wasn't ever anything besides someone that was so drunk that she bore her most intimate secrets to a complete stranger. And and there were other things. Overall, I did like it, but it, it, it didn't feel like the first time that I watched it where I was completely blown away by this, this piece of cinema. Mm, okay. No, that's interesting. I I have to say that I was I was mind blown by it. You know, it was something that uh, I think that it was pretty common in the sisters trying to do a cinema that it was a bit more like a cute decisions about like the established society. So it reminded me a bit about the servant. It reminded me of the servant a lot because uh, it makes you feel uncomfortable watching it. And it's true that the premise is a pretty quote-unquote stupid from the perspective that if you are invited to a party like this and the first thing that you do, you know, that you actually see when they open the door is like the couple, the host and the hostess screaming at each other, is that probably you couldn't stay there. Probably you would say like, look, you guys are crazy. I don't know what is going on here. We are or maybe you could stay for a drink, but you will immediately leave. So... It feels that it's okay. I don't understand it. I understand that they play later with, okay, the guy, the guy from the biology department, I don't remember his name, is that he's just trying to play his cards for just getting on a good grace with her, with Elizabeth Taylor, from the perspective that he thinks that she may be an influence for her career, for just growing her career as his father is the president of college, of the college. But at the same time, is that they're like, yes, Tearing you apart, each other. It's like it makes no sense. Is that you're just being like victim of a couple that they're extremely manipulative and codependent with each other. That's the only part that I felt like, okay, I need to apply a bit of suspension or disbelief and just think that they cannot live. You know, something similar to the Exterminator Angel that is that they cannot live. That's it. That's the whole thing. <laughs> they're trapping here. So, and they're like just basically like puppets of their, you know, like abusive behavior. But, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I had the exact same thought that there's this big plot hole where any normal human being, they just would have said, look, we're all a little drunk. We're going to yeah. go home. Let's let's do this next Friday. Um, yeah. And they don't bother to even worry about that plot hole until the final third chapter, I would say, when they kept saying, oh, well, you stay because my dad's president of the university. And I just felt like that was trying so hard to cover this plot hole that it seemed very obvious. This is a big problem with with the play and the, the movie, although I haven't seen the play. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that the play doesn't change anything. I think that at the beginning they're trying to be polite. It's okay, yeah, it's two in the morning, but you know, we just met them and they're just inviting us and probably they don't live far away because they actually walk. The opening scene is like uh, Elizabeth Taylor and uh, Richard Burton walking back from uh, her father place to the house. So it's, it's pretty clear that they are close by. So they're like just trying to be polite, you know, the younger couple and say, that, well, we'll have like a nightcap and then just leave. So from that perspective, it's like, I understand that they go. I don't understand that they stay because the the couple, the main couple, they're crazy. Yeah, but, that shit insane. Yeah. It's like a, there is so many psychological red flags in the way that they behave with each other. But what I really like about the movie is that it's pretty clear. And I know that the trailer, just, I don't know if you saw the trailer, if you watched the trailer, but the trailer likes in the 60s, they love to just spell what the movie is about. You know, it's true that cinema was more sophisticated in the 60s, but it's that like the trailers still treat you as you cannot analyze what is happening on the screen. And basically it says like, who is afraid of Virginia Woolf? Come to us like this big sensation where we can see how the uh, educated fall apart into something that you couldn't expect. It's basically just watching uh, the summary that BuzzFeed would do of the movie. That's how trailers used to be. It's like number seven would actually suck you. So I already knew what I was getting into the movie. That is okay. It's pretty pretty on my face that we are seeing these educated people that you're always going to think that they are more sophisticated. But if in the case of uh, Amour by Haneke, does the whole, like, uh, I don't know, like the whole uh, twist of the movie, like just pushing someone so over the line until he actually just forgets how educated and how calm and how much he loves someone else, forgetting to the point of killing her. It's like in this point, it's like, no, is it from the first scene? You can say that like, they're going to be abusive to each other. This is not a subtle movie. It's yeah, they never stop and nobody learns anything. It's just watching two extremely miserable people, dysfunctional yeah. and codependent, like you said, yeah. just find this awful relationship that's so painful to both of them. But ultimately, that's what both of them want for the relationship. Yeah. And you know, other movie that I actually thought about when I was watching this, it was uh, The Lobster. When they tell... So <laughs> when they tell when they are like matching in this magic hotel that everyone goes to find uh, their partner and they say well you're going to be like getting along well and if you don't you could get a sign at children because that's known to help <laughs> it basically it feels like that's what it is it's okay we are a straight couple we hate each other but we cannot break up with each other because we have this kind of toxic codependency with each other so we're going to a spoiler alert make up a baby so we're going to be like just imagining that we had a baby and we're going to pretend that we have an imaginary son that we're never going to be like talking with anyone else about. So uh, there's a plot device within the song. You only kind of discover what it is <laughs> at the very end that Jose yeah. was describing. And apparently um, Martha and George, which is Elizabeth Taylor and uh, Richard, Richard Burton, they apparently are unable to conceive and they clearly have some sort of arrangement to imagine the life of a son. And it seems, correct me if I'm wrong, Jose, maybe mm -hmm. you uh, perceive something different, but 
that they, between the two of them, continued the story of this son's progression from his birth to right yep. away as a teenager. Um, and whatever one of them, whenever they built on this story, the other partner had to recognize that as what happens yep. to that kid. Yep. And so what um, Richard Burton George decides to do after a night of being completely humiliated and psychologically tortured by his wife, he decides to kill the son and she has to accept with it. it. She has to yep. accept it because the only rule that he had it was we will never share the existence of this imaginary baby with anyone else. And one of the first things that, that that's another like plot device that is a, okay, so you actually hold for 16 years from sharing it. And now you're like just sharing it with honey, a woman that is called honey. And that's the first thing basically that you tell to that woman is that, oh, our child is going to be 16 tomorrow. So um, the torture comes from Martha in the guise of playing games with this young couple, this innocent couple night. And the young couple, they participate, but they can tell, obviously, this is super fucked up. Um, yeah. And then ultimately, the final game results in George announcing to Martha, hey, our son is dead. He's not coming home ever again. So, um, yeah, as he's saying, as he's saying, you cannot decide that. Yeah, she's begging George, basically, please don't do this. Please don't kill our son. And that's the moment you kind of understand, oh, this is a weird imaginary agreement between them as a, as a couple. Yeah. So based on the description I just made, did it remind you of the other film about... Wheat? No, no, no. About a very... <laughs> abusive couple who goes to a family and chooses to play games with them all night. That's so funny nights. Funny games. Funny games. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, but watching it this time, I was like, holy shit. Michael Haneke saw this movie and was like, I'm going to up the game. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah, because there is so, so, but there is a, a different thing, you know, is I have the feeling that, Funny Games plays pretty well to the strengths of Haneke because Haneke is a bit more of just trying to tell you we as humans are flawed. We are. It's like in general. It's that there, there doesn't need to be any kind of reason for what we do. It may be evil. I said there may be no reason because the main motif of the, uh, or the scary part about uh, Funny Games is like the torturers. They openly say, it's like, we just pick you randomly. It's like, we, I, we don't hate you or anything. It's like, we like to do this. We can get away with this. But there is no reason. I was not, like, I don't know, abused when I was a kid. I didn't have, like, any kind of, tri you know, like, traumatic uh, childhood or anything. It's, like, it's what I like. So that's a bit more like just what Haneke does. In this case, I had a feeling that they build up some kind of a background story for the characters about, like, why they ended up, like, just trying to build something together. But they got like really entangled with each other, you know, because of the kind of uh, uh, defeats that they had in life as, as adults. And they couldn't cope with it. And they started abusing of each other uh, to the point that they got to a point and say, like, we should divorce. He said, no, we should have a baby. And it's what they say that is that like, we couldn't conceive. Either of us, they can't. You know, and from that perspective, is like they made it up as a way of saying, like, I couldn't be happy without you. 
but I cannot be happy with you as we are right now. So I, I think that Haneke can see like the abusive that they have, but I think that the abusive situation that they are displaying here is never so generalized as it usually is in Haneke's movies. That it feels a bit more like a reflection about humanity. And in here it feels a bit more like, well, these two people are pretty abusive with each other. And then the other couple are stupid. <laughs> Very stupid. <laughs> they are like super dumb because how they start sharing about like, well, I also got married with her, not only for her pregnancy, you know, for her hysterical pregnancy, but also because of the, uh, she has money. And then the woman actually tells him that is like, no, I was really pregnant, but I didn't want to have a baby. God, I was so annoyed at that revelation. Yeah. But see, he, the funny thing is that he doesn't abuse out of that. Because I was thinking that she was going to be like bringing it up to the husband. But it's like he doesn't do it. Richard Burton doesn't share it. I really thought that's what the final game was going to be about. Because the title of the final game is a baby, right? And you yeah. have no idea what horrible things are going to be said. And I, I thought he was going, going to expose that. And I had even seen the movie before. And I completely got that. Uh, I don't know if you would call it a twist, but the part of the story where you kind of find out, oh, the son doesn't exist. And yeah. he's going to torture Martha by killing the kid. Not literally but figuratively yeah i mean the thing is you already expect that something is going on with the kid i mean from the beginning i was i was watching it with a friend and we were talking uh, about the movie the first time that they mentioned it like how richard burton reacts to honey saying that oh i know that you have a song like, at that point is that you expect or a the song is there and they are delusional about it or b it doesn't exist I, it sounds like you and your friend are smarter than me because <laughs> it, even though I had seen the film one time, it never occurred to me that he didn't exist. In my mind, oh, they had a kid and it's dead. And I thought maybe she miscarried and then I think the playwright totally understood that and that's when she had to, to give the, uh, the recounting of her birth and how the baby was born healthy. And I'm like, oh, wow, so it didn't die at birth. It sounds yeah. like you were way ahead of me because I was just long for the ride. <laughs> no, I mean, it just feels everything that you see in the house, how they live, is just dysfunctional. Everything feels like it's like a kid never lived in this house. Dirty this dishes, is, dirty clothes everywhere. I mean, it was, it's, a, it's a disaster. Yeah. And it's something that's, I don't know, I mean, the more that we speak about the movies, that the least I like it. <laughs> but, <laughs> If it's really like face value, it doesn't feel like, I don't know, that there is a lot of substance to it. If it's a bit more like, okay, I want to portray these people as terrible, you know, or I want to portray it as dumb. And I'm going to be like making like the easiest stuff that I can do for just creating that result. I feel like uh, you could be a bit more subtle. You could be a bit more like having a bit more of nuances here. Like it could have something like the ice storm where everybody is equally as miserable in their partnerships, but it's way more subtle. <laughs> but yeah. I also think that the playwright and Mike Nichols, they weren't interested in having some sort of message that was better than the content of the, the movie and the play. I think it was just an examination of a few hours in the life of an incredibly unhappy couple and the effect that can have on other people. And it was happy with a tiny perspective like so what we're trying to show is these eight hours or ten hours, whatever, 
yeah. and you just get a very realistic glimpse into this misery. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, after watching this, is like, I cannot understand or I cannot see that this is the same director as the Barricades. I understand and I can see that he's the same director as Closer. And Wit. To me, I can see that he just evolved. He evolved into much more subtlety at that point. He still likes this intimate play-like script where it's very small, very human, but he didn't need to beat us over the head with Elizabeth Taylor drinking a, a bottle of brandy and screaming her head off. So something that uh, that my friend mentioned, and the more I think about it, what he mentioned, like, okay, you're right, you just spoiled the whole movie for me. He was telling me that he said, look, the acting feels a bit more like John Waters' level. He's like, I can almost picture Divine playing, uh, El, uh, playing uh, Elizabeth Taylor in Hairspray, like just basically doing the same kind of intonation over the top characterization of the character. You know, like, okay, I can see it, but it's like Elizabeth, I can trust, I can actually believe that Elizabeth Taylor is playing a drunk woman because that's what she is, the whole movie. But yeah, like, I actually watched this movie with, with my husband and we both commented on the range that Elizabeth Taylor was able to yeah. portray from happy in her relationship to completely angry to complete distression on her face. She performed incredibly. Yeah. I was blown away by her performance. And then what I was saying to you earlier, the, the rest of the three characters, not much was demanded of them. And so, yeah, they felt flat and like a John Waters movie. Like they're supposed to be over the top and this one thing, not a spectrum of things, this one thing, yep. and they were those things. Yeah, I mean, I think that Richard Burton did an okay job, but the thing is that he only has a role that is a bit more like the hard husband, you know, the abuse husband. And that is not that he's not abusive either, you know, but it's, like it's pretty clear that his role is one through the whole movie. That is a... Yeah. I don't, I don't love you. I'm just trapped here. And I don't think that it's because of his career or anything like that. Or maybe he's afraid now that like if he were to just divorce uh, Elizabeth Taylor character, that his father would actually, sorry, that her father would kick him out of college. Yeah, so again, I feel like the motivations of all of the characters are not that believable. It's not that they're unbelievable, but it's a little bit it's weak, right? Hmm. Definitely. Like, if you're in that marriage so unhappy and you have failed to achieve what you wanted to in the history department, you leave, right? Yeah. And I get, again, the culture of the 60s, what was acceptable socially, it's very different, but I just couldn't buy it as much as the first time. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, as a movie that it tries to criticize, you know, because I think that it tries to criticize uh, like a specific subset of people that is more like the educated and sophisticated, like, I don't know. It's not really like high class, but it's a like medium high class of society. Is like, I think that is not deep enough on just achieving that. I think that is like, yeah, you know, those people are terrible, but I cannot extrapolate anything. When I was thinking about the servant, I think the servant does an amazing job generalizing with a, a specific story. I agree. I think uh, essentially the, the, the messaging is similar, but the servant was able to, able to elevate it a little bit more than this film was. Yeah. 
Yeah, so if we actually ask about our questions, I think artistically, I think that this was okay. I think there were a couple of uh, camera resources that I felt like, eh, you know, they're the 60s. This is the kind of stuff that I like to do in the 60s. Uh, I like the, the script. I like the, the, uh, the acting. If I would watch this movie again, maybe I would watch it again like in 10 years. I don't think that this is a movie that I would enjoy again. I think that it's like so emotionally abusive as wit, you know, but I think that it's like, it's not going to be like telling me anything different if I watch it like two years in the future to right now. So, so artistically, I think there were some very bold choices when it came to the direction. Um, there were some scenes that were really exciting to me emotionally based on the way they were shot, uh, based on the performances. I think it was good artistically. And I would definitely recommend this, definitely recommend this to many people. And I don't know that I would watch it again, maybe in 10 years, but I've seen it twice. And mm. I feel like I got out of it what there is to get out of it. That's not saying it's a bad movie because I wouldn't watch it again. I just think two is probably the magic number for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Yeah. So this reminds me something is that the reason why they're saying Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is because there was some kind of play that happened or something that happened during the father's party, during the party at his father's house, that they mentioned this, that it was like a joke about like who is afraid of Virginia Woolf. So they keep like just saying that over and over. As, as I understood it this time, there's some sort of nursery rhyme that says who's afraid of Virginia Woolf and she somehow performed this at her father's party and people found it very amusing. And so she was trying to ride the attention of her performance and the husband was super unimpressed. I, I don't know what the significance is, to be honest. Yeah. It was a little bit confusing this time. Yeah, I mean, I, I was trying to think, and it's true that I'm not that familiar with uh, Who is Afraid of Virginia Woolf besides Miss Dalloway. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not that familiar with Virginia Woolf's work besides Miss Dalloway from the perspective that it was also like part of the hours, but I also saw the play. And uh, maybe... Is it like, I mean, I don't know if you read like more stuff of Virginia Woolf, but it's like, it's one of her uh, common topics, like just critique of the middle class, middle high class. To be honest, I have no idea. I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit that. I don't know <laughs> Sorry, that I've man. read anything by Virginia Woolf. Because the thing that I was the thing, I mean, the she thing. dealt a lot with, with like, Poor gay people with existential ennui. Uh, I mean, Miss Dalloway is not exactly that, but yeah. <laughs> but I was wondering, is like maybe actually like some of the topics that she recurrently talks about, she talked about, it was about like the middle high class and you know, like how broken they were. And it was a bit more like that rhyme, like who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. It may actually just represent it. Like you don't want Virginia Woolf like talking about you because it's going to be like just surfacing. What are your flaws? That's a, a level deeper than I was prepared to go. <laughs> I applaud you for your insight. <laughs> I, I have no idea if that's right or not. It's like usually I think that is like when I have like these situations, I'm like, what you know is like what is the point of actually just you know like this title here i i like to just like make up like this kind of imaginary stories that they may be true or maybe like completely made up but it's like sure i mean i feel good good myself i justify <laughs> something random 
Well, uh, I this was your pick. I enjoyed rewatching a lot. I again liked it more than whatever my mind tells me. For whatever reason, my mind tells me I won't like it. I liked this. I think it's interesting. I think as Mike Nichols' first film, it's extremely interesting because I enjoyed so much of his, his films. Um, but I think it's far from a perfect film. Do you like? Uh, do you know if we like uh, *The Graduate* more? Or at least, do you know if you like it more? Um, it's been a long time since I've seen *The Graduate*. I would say that I would I like *Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf* more. As I recall, based on our conversation after we watched it, we were both a little bit let down. Yeah. Um, I don't feel let down by this film at all. I think it had problems, but I liked it overall. Cool. All right, so about a score, who should I score first? It's your pick, so I'll score, and I'm going to give this a seven. Okay, so it's the same score. Seven for me, too. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say that for a while, you know, it's like after watching it, I was almost like an eight. You know, from a perspective, that wow was mind-blowing, but the more that I actually thought about it and I saw the plot holes, I felt like their flaws bring it down. And it's something that it could have been, the script is good, you know, the kind of dialogue, the kind of banter that they have like back and forth is pretty good. But at the same time, is that when I think about what do I take out of this movie, I'm not that sure. You know, it's a bit more like, okay, that was an entertaining experience, but that's it. Yeah, it was definitely more of an experience than it was a thought piece. I, I certainly didn't like finish the credits and be like, wow, that really made me think about myself differently in the world. But, you know, it, it was an experience. It was. And for two hours and 10 minutes, I actually didn't feel the time as much as I thought. Um, but I was surprised it was long. I expected 90 minutes for some reason. Yeah, I had to say that I felt it really long. I <laughs> really, really long. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, really, really long, no. But it was a bit more like when I got to the hour. It's like, I think that is that these kind of movies that they're based on a theater play, that they are like pretty minimal. They had to have like really good uh, read to it. And in this one, as you know, they are drunk, then they stop drinking, and they're drunk again, and they stop drinking. You know, they're like very like up and downs in the movie. You go like through half of the movie, and I was like, is this really only happening one hour? <laughs> I also think that the relationship that at least America had with alcohol in the 60s was very different. So to me, it seemed completely dangerous and insane for them to drink that way. I don't think that it was supposed to be as free as I perceive it today, as it was meant to be perceived in the 60s, but I could be no, no, that's completely fair. Okay, so what are we watching this week? I don't know the title exactly, but I, I'm pretty sure it's Erotic Male. The Erotic Man? Erotic Man, yes, thank you. And this, if you listen to our last podcast, the last movie we watched was The Five Instructions. And we were introduced, or there was a director that participated named Jorgen Leth, who was apparently very well esteemed in Denmark. You and I love Danish film. We love to hate Danish film. And <laughs> yeah. I realized I had never seen anything by Jorgen Leth. This is the last non... No, it's the last mm -hmm. fiction film he did. The last thing he did that's not a documentary. So I'm just curious to see a feature film by him and see if I like it as much as I like his shorts. 
May I ask if you check the score of this movie on IMDb or in any other platform? You may ask that, and the answer is no. Okay, let's go with it. <laughs> <laughs> if it's bad, we might have to pivot. <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, I rather it's the kind of stuff that is like I rather like just talk also about bad cinema. It's like actually when I check the score. <laughs> When I checked the score of the last five movies that we watched, it was seven, eight, seven, seven, seven for me. And for you, it was a six, eight point five, seven point five, seven point five, seven. So yeah, so we could go below five. Yeah, I think that is five. Is that we can allow ourselves? It was not like that time that we were like just doing movies that they were like a three, you know, <laughs> like almost back to back. <laughs> so okay, the erotic man, it is. Mesky Erotic by Jorgen Lev. Anything else to say about uh, who is afraid of Virginia Woolf? Uh, no, overall, I liked it. I think it was interesting. I like Mike Nichols even more. Um, but I had some problems. Would you be willing to watch The Barricades to see yep. how he fares with comedy? Okay, I'm going to be adding it to the list. <laughs> It's like what Jamar Bergman do, uh, Strawberry Summers or whatever. Summers and Strawberries, that first film that got him. It's a comedy, and oh it was the first film to get him attention that can. And then oh it went in a very different direction. <laughs> <laughs> it was more like the uh, gateway drive about, okay, now that they yes. can actually consume the easy stuff, let's just go with the deep stuff. There is a point on this movie that actually made me think of Jamar Bergman when they're like showing their bedroom. I thought that they had a poster on the wall that I thought that it was the death from the seventh seal. Interesting. I'll have to go back and check. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just do it because when I was just like, is that? Is that? Well, I mean, you know, they're pretentious, uh, high class, you know, from the 60s. They may be my <laughs> academics, intellectuals. Academics. Yeah. You know, There's nothing this... more academic or intellectual than Ingmar Bergman. That's true. Yeah. All right. Well, that was fun. See you next time. Uh, yeah, wash your hands. Bye.